0: Hi everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Telich Talks. John Sable is a sports reporter and a news anchorman in Cleveland at my old station Fox Eight. He's a Northeast Ohio native. He grew up dreaming of covering sports in his hometown. And now, of course, he is living that dream. John's the younger brother of our fine meteorologist Scott Sable and the co-host of the Sable Brothers on the Baseline podcast. And recently, he presented a very compelling and emotionally evocative story about former Cleveland Indians pitcher Jim Poole's battle with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. We sat down to talk about that story, how it came about, and about John's return to Cleveland. We talked about the Ohio State Buckeyes, the Browns, the podcasting business, and where or where did the court from the old Coliseum end up? Lots of stuff to talk about. Great to catch up. And as usual, if you can, please subscribe, rate, and review. I certainly appreciate you listening. And now, on to the interview. So pleased to have colleague John Sable on <laughs> with me. We go back a long way. Real proud of the work that you have done, not just at Fox 8, but how have you built your career, John. And uh, most recently, uh, you really had a compelling story um, with former Indians pitcher Jim Poole. Set it up for us.
1: Well, JT, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to uh, be with you on this podcast. And for those that don't know, we, we do go way back. Yeah. I remember the first day I met you. Uh, it was a Saturday in December or January of 0304. I was still in high school and I came to shadow you. I don't know if you remember that. I think I brought sure. one of my buddies because my brother Scott was working on the weekend. And then, of course, uh, years later, became your intern. Uh, and then, uh, you're obviously, my, my mentor helped me out through all my years of my career. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But the biggest story that I think I've done in my career is actually one that I just did. Yeah. And it's former Indians pitcher Jim Poole. Um, for those that don't know or haven't seen it on Fox 8, he um, you know, was instrumental in the mid-'90s, middle relief guy, left-handed specialist out of the bullpen, unfortunately most notably known for giving up David Justice's home run in the World Series 95. With game Braves, six. Yep. Game six. But he, in June of t- 2021, uh, was diagnosed with ALS. And uh, I, I got wind of this story back in May of this year of 2022 and finally got a chance to go down to Atlanta earlier this month in November to meet Jim and his wife and to talk with him. Uh, he's he's deteriorating fairly quickly, unfortunately. And as anybody knows, ALS disease is, is just horrific.
0: It's and
1: devastating. It's devastating. And uh, Jim and I had been texting for months trying to get in touch, uh, t- trying to plan a time to go down there around my schedule and of course his schedule. And um, I spent um, a whole day with him. Flew down there in the morning and went to his office. He's still working one day a week as a financial advisor and a planner with a company that uh, does a lot of financial planning for other people, but also for retired baseball players. And uh, then I went to his home and met with his wife. This is an inspirational story because of his attitude and positivity throughout his entire ordeal. Jim is confined to a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, he has been in a wheelchair now for almost a year. It was, I think it was right before Christmas of last year of 2021. He finally went into a wheelchair after having multiple falls. He is uh, paralyzed pretty much on his left side of his body. So his left hand that has pretty much gave him his entire career in baseball. His career, his life, his family, his well-being. Doesn't work. It's He, he has no feeling in it. So he does everything right-handed, and he's had to learn to write right-handed and, and to type a little bit. Wow. Uh, and just sitting there and talking with him for an hour – You know, as you as a journalist in your amazing career, you've interviewed so many people. And I think you can maybe relate to this. When I, I told you this too, when I met and talked with him, it was the first time I think in all of my career that I was so engaged in an interview that a bomb could have gone off down the hall and I wouldn't have heard it. You were so locked in. I was locked into him, locked into it. I don't think my eyes left his eyes the entire hour talking to him. And it hit me like it was an emotional, like we both teared up. I mean, he cried multiple times talking about his entire life and what his, how blessed he still is, despite having this devastating disease that there is no cure for that'll eventually will kill him. Yeah. And, um, but his positivity throughout this whole ordeal, I mean, he puts everything in perspective, his family, his wife, uh, his grandkids, his kids and what he's done in his life. It just, it I took away from them that interview and that moment of being with him, like, man, everyone always has something worse off in their life, but it's all about perspective and, and, and trying to understand and realize what you have in front of you sure, and not so much about what is happening to you. Embrace the moment, live for the now, have a purpose, enjoy this moment in time because
0: tomorrow's not promised and glory days of high school mean nothing or college or whatever. whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. And, uh, you know, just uh, this is the first time I've ever met somebody with ALS in person like this, um, this far advanced in their life and in the, in their disease, I should say. And it's a to see an athlete, at a, you know, he wasn't the the biggest star in the world, didn't no. make all the millions of dollars in the world, and wasn't an all star, but he was a professional athlete for uh, almost ten years and a Division One star at Georgia Tech, where he met his wife, who played soccer there. Uh, and I didn't tell you this fun little fun little uh, note that um, his wife Kim lived down the hall. I forget what year it was in college, right down the hall from um, Mark Price's wife, because oh, they wow. went to school at Georgia Tech. So how funny was that? To right. We connection, Mark Price went to Georgia Tech. So they knew the prices. And so uh, that was kind of a fun little story, just getting to, 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 to talk with them and stuff. And, um, you know, I think the other thing, too, is about Jim Poole's story, is about the awareness of this disease, people that may not know a lot about it. Of course, we know Lou Gehrig, Maybe Steve Gleason with the New Orleans Saints, yes. Um, but it's becoming more prominent. the awareness of this for a number of reasons, it's not just so much for like a research and to find a cure. while that is great and desperately needed, almost more needed right now in the ALS uh, quest just talking with the pools are families that don't have the financial means of getting a car that can, you know is capable for a wheelchair. You know, configuring your house for a wheelchair. Changing it around for, yeah. Yep, uh, having computers that ALS uh, patients can use. Jim uses now, he just received a uh, tablet that he can text and write emails through his eyes. Okay. So he can write an email through his eyes. It picks up his, I don't know how the technology works, Sure. but he had just received that um, recently. It takes a little lo- longer, obviously, to process and to send a message or an email. But things like that, uh, equipment like that, um, care, not everyone can have, you know, twenty four hour care. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim's wife, Kim, you know, they had all these plans of, you know, retirement and traveling and being with grandkids. Yeah. And the minute that happened, now that oh, that's all out the window. So now her entire career in life is her husband. You know, she is his caretaker. Yeah. And, you know, we're we're I'm sitting in his house in his family room and she's feeding him yogurt and he can't feed himself. I mean it's just I just feel so awful, and it just hit me, and it just, you know, just made me want to give them hugs and yeah. just, and, and to explain their story to people, so people can understand what it is to go through that. Um, make awareness of the, the disease. If we see fundraisers, or if there's something that people can give, especially this holiday season, maybe donate to a cause here. Um, but also, you know, it puts everything in perspective, and it did for me that day, and, and it still has, and it still hit me now.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the mechanics of actually delivering this story because I find I found it very fascinating first of all the humility of Jim Poole to allow himself to be interviewed yeah. in that state where you know he's the words are slowly coming out, slurred somewhat maybe hard for people to uh, understand um, you had the temerity and, and the resources to sit back and take in every word transcribe that. How did that work out so that people at home could understand what he was saying as difficult as it was to watch an individual dealing with you know, speech pattern, not getting what
1: he had wanted it to be? Well, I got to give a lot of credit to my photographer, Jeff Hogan, who shot the piece and edited the piece. And also, um, you know, our, our, my bosses, too, because they gave me the time uh, to, you know, formulate this story in the proper way so we had a lot of planning in this this isn't just hey go to the store come back and do it yeah slam just, it together yeah. put it on here anybody that knows this business and you know knows UJT, you know it's it's a quick 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 thing this was not that way at all we had to meticulously plan everything and we kind of went in a little blind too because i knew jim's speech was starting to deteriorate rapidly he texted me and we've been texting since july i believe and you know here here we are in november after thanksgiving but i went down earlier this month in the span of just you know, July, August, September, October, November, four or five months, I mean, his speech deteriorated quickly. He did a podcast real quick here with uh, some Baltimore Oriole beat writers or some, um, I forget who it was, someone with the Orioles because he played for the Orioles. And then he did another one with the Guardians on Lou Gehrig's day earlier in the year. And if you watched it, that it was aired in April, the Orioles, and then the Guardians ones in June, his voice was, was, you could tell it started to slur. Yeah. But when you compare it to when we met him and when we interviewed him, it was like one Stunning. Eight, stunning. So my entire communication with Jim was always through text. And he told me, hey, my voice is, I don't know how bad I'm going to be, you know, how, how well yeah. I can speak, whatever. So uh, I had a plan in place, you know, talked it out with our bosses, trying to maneuver everything. We flew down to Atlanta in one day and then flew back later that night. Going to his office, we talked with them, and instantly I knew, I mean, this is going to be a challenge to how we're going to be able to produce this story in a professional and respectful way with his voice. So a regular interview with somebody that we, the questions that I asked him probably would have taken maybe 15, maybe 20 minutes. There's a lot we didn't include too. It took an hour because of his speeches and he had to pause multiple times. So what we did was after we got done, we, uh, we, we, we conducted the interview, I met with his wife. We go back to the home, we take like a coffee break. We go home, we, we interview her at, at the house and talk with her. Um, we told her we're going to use subtitles to, to explain his story. Yeah. And, um, and Jim had said, and she had said, like, we are not embarrassed by any means. We want people to see my condition, my husband's condition, because people need to be aware of what this disease does. And you know, he, he was just, he opened up his heart, his home and his office for us to see his vulnerability. They weren't embarrassed at all. and I just I can I think that's so awesome. it's it's magnificent. It's magnificent, j t. It, because of what's going on in the world and what they're dealing with. So she Kim just said to me one thing. she's like, if you don't mind, if you any sound bites you have with him that you're going to use and put subtitles, can you send them to me because I want to make sure every single word that you think he says is one hundred percent accurate. I don't know if something happened in the past or they knew someone that maybe that missed up a word or whatever. So I said, absolutely. Sure. So we get done interviewing her. Um, we do, we, we shoot a couple shots in the city and uh, we send some, we do some little editing there. We grab dinner and we had to get back to the airport. So we landed in there like eight Eight in the morning, and we fly back out at like nine or ten at night. But there's a lot of in between time goes quick, especially getting the airport. So, the entire flight home from Cleveland or from Atlanta to Cleveland, it's like an hour and a half, two hour flight. I sat on the computer and I listened to the entire interview and wrote it down. Because the next day, which was a Wednesday at work, I had to write the whole story together because I knew the transcribing would take a big chunk of the day. Then, I had to give once I nailed down his transcribes, I had to email it to her to make sure that they're accurate. Here's what I'm using there were two words that I uh, transcribed incorrectly and they were, they were minor, but instead of saying things, I didn't know there was an S on it. Like, you know, I thought it was something, but it was some things, you know, or, um, it was something I think was plural that I, I couldn't check with his slur. Other than that, it was pretty, pretty accurate with it. And she was very, uh, um, uh, you know, happy with that. Okay. So once we got that done we wrote everything down, we then had to give, this is the hard part that I did not anticipate of being, um, didn't think it would take as long as it did, but it did. We then had to take the transcribed sound bites, once we picked out the ones, to our graphics department to then put them in uh, subtitles sure. and to match them in the timing of every time he speaks to come out so we're hitting it. And, yeah. it, you know, that took a long time. It's and, a visual medium. Yep. And then by Thursday, it was set to air. And we had the final draft completed Thursday morning and it was going to air at 6 o'clock. So less than. A little more than 48 hours later, after the initial meeting, we got it all done, and it aired, and um, was really happy with the outcome. And more importantly, and I told this to you when I when I showed you after or before a Friday Night Touchdown, was, you know, I loved the piece, I thought it was really well done, by um, Jeff Hogan, my yeah. photographer, who wrote it or edited it and 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 had uh, shot it, but the gratification that I got was when I sent it to his wife Kim in the gym, and they loved it, and I'm like, you know what? Mission accomplished. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what our bosses think or our viewers think. Yeah. That will means something. But as long as they were 100%, you know, appreciative and loved it, that's all that matters.
0: And how has the response been to what actually aired and, uh, you know, the people that are dealing with
1: the association that deals with this devastating uh, illness? We had a lot of great reception from it. You know, I put it on my Facebook page. Um, it's uh, If you haven't seen it, you can go on my Facebook fan page. It's at John Sable TV. Uh, you know, it had a lot of shares and a lot of views. And um, the uh, one of the ALS chapters, I forget which one, if it was one here in Cleveland or one in Atlanta, uh, ended up sharing it. And, um, you know, we just had the Fox 8 Turkey Ball, and uh, I, I was part of it. And we had to pick a charity if we were would have won sure. it. So I, I, when they asked me, I said, I don't know. Like, and the first thing I thought of was Jim Poole. So I represented the Cleveland Northeast Ohio chapter of ALS. And unfortunately, I couldn't bring home the prize. I don't know if you notice, I lost by one can <laughs> in the finals to uh, Jen Toohey, uh Joe Toohey's sister. But rigged, I, rigged. <laughs> rigged, yeah. But I, I've been in contact with the ALS chapter here in Cleveland. And I think I'll do some work with them, too, in the future. So if anything, it's, it's opened my eyes and maybe try to help people here. I thought it was a tremendous uh, um, piece of journalism. Thank you. And I wanted to
0: commend you on that and let people know that uh, my feelings on it. I just thought it was spectacular from the the inception of you know what a reporter should do. You had a little nugget of information that might be a story, you know, months months ago, and maybe from making that extra phone call, that uh, people um, just wonder why, how do stories come to you do they just appear you know you open your door and there is this fantastic story idea yeah but it was you know you you literally were like checking with a minor league baseball team
1: correct the, the, the I, team I, down I, in akron yeah i called the rubber it ducks. the rubber ducks i called uh, the um, um one, of the, one of the media relations guys down there it was a slow day in may and i said hey do you guys have any like fun stories you know of any former play- or players you know anything that's beyond baseball or anything like that and and uh, he said, "Hey, you know, uh, we have a player here, Xavion Curry, who anybody fan of the Guardians now may remember his name. He got called up this year and pitched yeah. a few times. He he started the season at Double A in Akron, went to Columbus, and worked his way to Cleveland, and then eventually went back to Columbus. He said Xavion Curry has done this social media. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it—a uh, not a fundraiser, but uh—he's he, he's he did some videos to make sure awareness, I could say, yeah. of, of ALS. And I think." And he did some with Jim Poole, and, and the reason why there was a connection between Curry and Poole is because Curry pitched at Georgia Tech, and of gotcha. course, Jim Poole pitched there as well. So they knew each other from their time there. And before Jim got sick, and then before Zavian actually got drafted into the minors, so they knew each other from you know year, a few years ago. Gotcha. And so, hey, he does these social media posts about ALS, and I'm like, great. So we tried. I reached out to Jim, and, and Jim... Uh, they gave they they reached I reached out then to a Georgia Tech sports information director who's basically anybody that doesn't know who those people are. They're media relations people that yeah. professional teams have, yeah. but in college are called SIDs. SIDs and they have so many different tasks. And uh, he gave me Jim Pool. He said, Hey, let me reach out to him. He said you'd love to talk to you. He Gave me his contact info. I reached out to him, and Jim didn't get back in touch with me for. I was in May. I think it was end of June, early July. And he's like, hey, I apologize. I've been going through some stuff. And I'm like, you're going through some stuff, man. Like, don't apologize to me. Like, yeah. I'm just a reporter here trying to tell a story. I, you are, I, I, I am honored you even took the time to respond to me. <laughs> yeah. And so we were texting back and forth. And uh, and that's why that's how the story happened. So originally it was going to be a story about Xavier and Curry and Jim Poole's connection. Yeah, kind of like the little kid. Yeah. yeah and, and that still could happen. But after talking to Jim and texting with him, and knowing more about his background and everything, I thought I felt the story needed his story needed to be told more so than the relationship with Xavion. And we did talk about it. To be fair, it just didn't fit into this story. And we may approach to do it again later, especially if Xavion maybe makes the may, major yeah. league roster out of spring training, you know, later in a few months. But that's how the whole story really began, and, and it took months and months. And a lot of these stories, JT, as you know, being in, in this business as long as you have, they come when you least expect it.
0: They do. Yeah, yeah. You're you're looking in one direction, and then all of a sudden. Where did that come from? Or maybe you made one phone call six months ago, and then you're you're wondering, Mm -hmm. you know, will I anything ever come of it? And when you're not thinking about it, all of a sudden, it does. Which kind of I guess makes a pretty uh, good segue (laughs) to our next topic, if we can. You did a story recently, or that it was a sweeps piece about what happened to the former court at the Coliseum. Oh, yeah. And uh, is kids down in uh, high school in Virginia
1: are enjoying that, correct? Correct. It was a story that I first was tipped off to, let's see, what, 12 years ago. So I was working in Charleston, West Virginia at my second TV job. No, I was in Beckley at my first TV job. Beckley. Beckley. I remember, I remember reading uh, ESPN.com used to have a second page on there. It's called Page Two. And I remember there was uh, Paul Lucas who writes for—he uh, used to be a columnist on there. He's—he's he's known as at, on Twitter at UniWatch. So he's—he's he's a big uniform logo guy. He tweets all these like cool pictures and you know breaks a lot of stories on uniforms and stuff like that. He had a like a sidebar little paragraph 12 years ago by saying, yeah, and it was a picture. It was a faded, digitally you know not a great quality picture. grants 12 years ago, of um, the old Coliseum floor down in in a school in Virginia. And I always thought, I'm like, wow, that was so cool. That was 12 years ago. And I never thought about it again, and I kind of forgot about it because, um, you know, just you didn't really—I couldn't do a story like that, or I didn't know how to, you know, work the 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 sources and blah blah blah. Fast forward to a year ago, so my brother Scott and I have a podcast which you have been on, uh, Sable Brothers in the Baseline. You can find it anywhere you get podcasts, and we did a a podcast one day with (laughs) the guidance counselor slash head basketball coach slash kid who was in Richfield that bought the Coliseum floor with his father uh, back in the late 90s, we tracked him down and did an episode with him. So that was in December of last year. Fast forward to June or May of June this past year in 2022, I'm at Cavs headquarters in Independence and it was draft night. And before the uh, it was after draft night, we get, just got done talking to Colby Altman and I was talking to some of their media relations guys. And they're like, uh, I was like, oh, are you guys going to have the new draft? It was, at the time, it was Ochai you Are you going to have him here you know, um, to do they're some workouts? Available. Yeah. yeah. He says, no, we're not going to do. We're gonna have availability, but we're not going to do any practice because this floor is being ripped up. I'm like, what do you mean? They're doing renovations because they did a brand change. And I'm like, huh, speaking of floors, did you know the original Richfield Coliseum floor from the mid-'80s to the early mid-'90s is now in Virginia? And they're like, what? Cool. And they're like, you've got to do that story. They're like, we want to do that story. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to do that story. So I approached our bosses to do it, and, and we found a time. And I approached George McNair, who is the guidance counselor and basketball coach down there in Virginia. And we planned the time to go down. We went down in October, and with the story just aired uh, like two weeks ago. Phenomenal story. Um, there are two there, and, and people always say, "Well, John, how how is that court there? When I go into the into the Rocket Mortgage Field House and I go into the elevator, there's a little piece. There's a piece there. Why is there two courts? Great question. So let me explain. At the old Coliseum, as you know, there were a, there was a back gym. And there was actually tennis courts at the old Coliseum. I, I remember going to the Coliseum as a kid growing up, living in Hudson. My dad and my brother would take me to games all the time. We probably went to like 10 games a year, right down the street. The Coliseum, that was my childhood. I remember the concourse. I remember every little bit about that Coliseum. Yeah. And I love the history of it. I love history and sports in general in this town, especially the Coliseum. So there was a tennis court there, and there was two, the, the back gym court. The court, from what from what I've gathered from talking to former Cavs players, Mark Price, Craig Elo, um, you, you name it: the Cavs employees, to people that tore down the Coliseum, old demo workers and construction workers, to Coliseum employees. I've done extensive research on this. Yeah. The floor that they they have the piece at the Rocket Mortgage Field House was from the back gym. Yeah, it was actually up up a level or two from you know the
0: main court, mm-hmm. and there was asbestos of some weird on chemical, the walls. <laughs> on the walls. It was quite the place to be. Um, and yet it was uh, a scene
1: of many hours I spent there watching a practice. Yeah, I, you, you yeah. know it. And then so the second floor, or the main floor, is the floor that we all saw everything yeah. happen. The, from Jordan's shot to a lot of those great Cavs games with Price, Doherty, Nance, Ela, all those guys. Um, long story short, but basically a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of the school back in the late 90s knew someone, knew the Gordon Guns. Um, and of the
0: school in, in, in Virginia. In, in, Virginia. in, in Stanton, Got
1: Virginia. And they were getting rid of the floor, and so then they made a call, made a call, made a call, and they said, "Here, you can, you want to come up and buy the court? Here's the court. Uh, Come up and see it. But you got to get a, I don't know, it was a couple thousand dollar deposit down, and then here's the money. I think they." It was over twenty thousand dollars is what they paid for them. and uh, they they came up that morning. Flatbed trucks, about a dozen guys, like like ten or 10, nine or ten dads and like three high school students at the time came up. They saw it, and they went in there not seeing it full well. They're gonna buy it because they had to rent out flatbed trucks. They came up there. And the floor was not assembled you know these floors are like puzzle pieces so they so were they stacked hit. on pallets and they could just see the blue and the orange you're like all right this is it we're going to buy it here's a baseline here's this yeah. so I, everyone <laughs> says to me well why would the guns just give why can't they just give it to the school that's so listen like you got to make money off something but here's the other thing too part of the story that people don't know is there were other people that offered to buy that floor for well over from what i've heard well over fifty to a hundred thousand dollars during the I could time. imagine some you know and the memorabilia guns, folks and the guns said no. We're we're going. we're sticking with this school. We already offered them a price. So they, they, they kept were their, loyal. They were loyal and kept to their word. And so um, the school, here's the funny thing, JT. That school in Virginia, Grace Christian School in Stanton, Virginia, small, small school, beautiful community, great downtown. Oh my god, it was awesome. Um they didn't have the, the gym built yet. So they bought this floor not knowing if they'd ever have a gym so without that floor their gym would never get built so they put the floor in storage for two years until they had enough funds from you know alumni and parents and boosters to this build is before gym. they even even stuck one shovel in the ground
0: correct 100 yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. this is before they even had the funds that they thought would be necessary with some state grants or yep. whatever thrown in that they would have enough to say project can move forward
1: yes so give you a little timeline here for those that don't remember or know the last Cavs call game on the coliseum court was in the spring of 94 they moved into gunderina in the winter of 94
0: yeah. yeah the 94 90 94 95 was their first full
1: season right downtown next to the jake the coliseum laid vacant for five years 97 is when the school bought the floor 99 i believe 98 '99. 90, spring of 99 over march april may was when it was torn down Um, And so 99, around the time the Coliseum was torn down, is when their school was, their gym was actually built. So two years after buying it, it finally gets built. The fun part about this story that I find very intriguing is, and very fascinating, is they didn't just get the floor. JT, they got about 200 floor seats, orange leather fold-up chairs that the players would sit on. They got the two basketball hoops that were on the floor. That has the NBA logo in the bottom left-hand corner of the glass that are still painted orange and blue. It still has the orange and blue padding. And so far as they know, this is the Jordan bucket? Well, no. What I found out later was, so the Jordan shot came in, what, 89? Yeah,
0: yeah. This would have been... 88,
1: this this, The the last bucket or the last hoop that they played on was 93-94, or 94 season, 93 season the spring of 94. They had changed those out a few times. So uh, actually, it's funny you said that. The Jordan hoop, from what I... Just research doing the story was just actually bought an auction recently uh, like a few months ago um i don't know how they authenticated it but yeah anyway so they're at least recently um you know I could, you could say though fair to say you know larry bird's last game one of larry bird's last times in cleveland was played on those on the, not only on the court was on those hoops because mm-hmm. he was done after that year um and so but they also received the Talk about that back gym with the asbestos. The <laughs> scoreboard in that back gym they've received. I can
0: remember seeing. I think it had some wiring or something on, on, in front of it to protect it. Correct. I recall.
1: And then they had also um, uh, the sinks in the bathrooms, in the men's room. <laughs> they grabbed those. And a couple fixtures that they used in their kitchen now at the school. And you know, they had they had jerseys, practice calves practice jerseys, warm-ups, they and he showed them to me. George McNair showed them to me in the um in his office. He had Bobby Phils, the late great Bobby yeah. his blue warm-up calves, yeah. warm-ups, pants and jacket. He had the late great Hot Rod Williams' warm-up jersey. He even got and we didn't include this in the story, and we didn't include those the articles of clothing in the story, but he even received two blue leather recliners from gordon gunn's owner's box of the coliseum that are still in his office today <laughs> it's just fascinating like little pieces of history the floor is in phenomenal shape uh you know i shot around on it i had to sure of course there's a few dead spots in it but the floor is you know from at least 1983 my gosh and um they will never change it they, they changed their school colors to match the floor ironically enough the school's team name is the Warriors, which is funny. <laughs> yeah, <bro. laughs> um, but uh, they love it, and uh, it's it just really cool to, to walk on the floor where my hero, my all-time favorite athlete of all time, is Mark Price. Sure, to see him on that floor and, and to sit in the, to stand in the spot where Jordan hit the shot. And um, you know they they embrace this history and. All visiting teams that come in there are like, was that the cast floor? Now the parents of these kids are my age or older that yeah. were my my age as a kid watching them. And these kids are, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old that no idea what's going on. But then they have to they educate them on it. And I got to say this one last thing about this. And I didn't tell you this. I I've been in contact with George and, and he was tremendous in telling us the story, providing pictures and giving us the time and opening up his community and his school to us. He when I told him when it was going to air, I thought this was really cool he had a bas- basketball practice that day so what he did was he had his whole team gather around on the coliseum floor and he streamed the show and the the fox Eight news at six o'clock and the episode or the the, the story live i don't know if it was on his ipad or his computer huh. and had his entire team watch the story of the floor on the floor that's kind of
0: cool because it gives them a sense of just you know their place in this wacky wild world yeah uh that they're living in and the history of that court that that is that's that's that is crazy stuff
1: yeah and i and had great reception from it obviously too and uh, the cavaliers i really loved it as well you know i think it'd be a really cool idea i don't know how this would ever happen what if they did like a fantasy camp on that court or something at the school you know get some of those greats down there i think that'd be really neat but um yeah it, it was another fun story you know it's very rare that you could do Really, two really great stories in a short, in a short amount of time, and, and yeah, they I mean, never, you, you may never ever top it, but it was it's awesome. Well, I mean, those are two examples of your work and
0: and and how you go about your craft. What's it been like just being back in Cleveland? I'm obviously I had that wonderful sensation a million years ago when I first started yeah. at Channel, 8, being a Cleveland kid, a Euclid kid, you um, being a Northeast Ohio guy. So, what has
1: it been like? in that respect, and your job's kind of changed a little bit too once you got here. Yeah, it's been great getting back here, you know, it's funny, I was your intern in 2007, and my goal in my career was always to get back home, but you know, when you start out in this crazy business, you got to go places where you don't really want to go, and uh, you got to pay your dues, just like any career. So I I started in Beckley, West Virginia, went to Charleston, West Virginia, was in the state state of West Virginia for about almost five years, and then 2013, moved to Tampa and worked at the ABC affiliate down there and have been there ever since last year. And so uh, it, being back home, there's nothing like home. You know, everyone's like, oh, you miss Florida and the sun, the heat. And hey, Florida was beautiful. I love living down there. I made great contacts, family, friends, great career, you know, great workers and great experiences covering the sports down there, but there's nothing like being at home. Yeah you know, seeing my parents, they're not getting any older, you know, being by my brother and my nieces and nephews, you know, I have a two year old daughter now for her to experience life up here. My wife's from here. We were high school sweethearts. We both went to Hudson, both went to Kent State and uh, seeing friends that I, you know, went to high school and college with that moved away that I all have moved back. And I still have, you know, my, one of my sisters lives here in, in the area and, um, you know, working at a station where I grew up watching, watching you as a kid, you and Casey Coleman and Tim Taylor, Wilma Smith, all these greats, and then to intern with there with you, and then to work there—it's a surreal moment. It's—I get pinch me moments every once in a while. You know, I think our first Friday night touchdown we did this year with you and I and Danny—it was Danny's intern, uh, PJ Ziegler and I go way back. We worked together in West Virginia, my very first job. So he and I have been good friends for you know 15 years. So coming back to work with him was pretty cool. You know, and to work with him now. And then also, you know, Nick Kovach, our producer, who I've known for many years as well, from doing those Fox eight charity basketball games when I was in high school and college, and he played in those. So Nick and I had known each other from that. And of course,, uh, you know, um communicating when I worked in Tampa and always just talking and things. So it's been awesome to actually cover the sports teams you root for when you're younger and and want to succeed, because I think the big difference for me in my career, jt is, you can be a sports broadcaster or a sports journalist or a sports writer or a radio guy. But when you do it in your home, you bring a little different oomph to it. Yeah. You have more emotional attachments to it and more nostalgia. Yeah. And so uh, I didn't have that in my other three locations. Yeah. And so I think that, 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 that sets my um, differences apart from my past. And it's just great to be here. It's It's fun to be here. I love what I do. I'm fortunate to be here and and fortunate to work with some great people. It's awesome having you. And uh, I think also if there's a young person
0: that's just in college or maybe in the beginning of their school years uh, at at, at a college or maybe just about to get out, um, let's give them a little bit of a, uh, a sense of it just isn't you you have your last day of college and all of a sudden you're working at your first job you had to really scrap to get your first opportunity
1: and uh, you had to be a little creative you had to and and i give a lot of credit to you so you know i graduated from kent state in 2008 right in the middle of the recession right at the beginning and then the recession hit and trying to get a job in tv took took me 15 months after graduating so i had to do some odd jobs and i'm like jt what do i do my reel's old like you know potential job seekers are going to be like well, this is old. And, you know, but how, how, stuff, are you, yeah. how are you? How are you going to be able to reinvent yourself? And so, you kind of helped me. Not kind of. You did. Hey, you know, go out and do some stories on your own. And I and I just had never thought about that. I'm like, oh, I guess you're right. Like I had a camera from college that I had to buy for classes and stuff. And go out and do some stories. Make a website. So that's what I did. I went out on my own. Found a few stories here and there in between work, and uh, edited it. You know, yep. I had a computer that I did my own editing and then put it on my website. And, um, you know, it's funny, like, and then the other thing is like, okay, I, I needed, I needed more stuff. So what did I do? I volunteered. I was basically a glorified intern, but I worked and volunteered for then the Akron Arrows one summer, the summer of 09, a year after I graduated, Hey, can I go ahead and tape some of your games? record them. Can I do some features and you can put them on your website? They're like, yeah, sure. We're not going to pay anything. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You know, whatever. You got to do it. So I did it. I I spent like three months doing that for the Arrows, now Rubber Ducks, and basically did that for them. And uh, there are three stories I produced for them and then a story that I did on my own, a story you gave me a tip on, which is um, we'll give them a plug here, Ray's Indoor Mountain Bike Park here in <laughs> Cleveland, which is like an indoor mountain bike park. It's it is what it says in the name. Yes. So I did a feature with feature with them and interviewed an owner and then interviewed a, a woman who was a biker who I never knew and didn't realize until I think maybe you have told me that she was on the Canadian national like cyclocross team. Her name was and I remember her name. Her name's Emily Batty and she has since blown up on that circuit. <laughs> What are the chances? And uh, though that story and a couple arrow stories that I did landed me my first T V job. So nothing I did in college on my real Helped you helped per me. se. If I did not do what I did, if you did not give me the recommendation and the advice, I wouldn't have landed my first T V job and at the C B S affiliate in Beckley, West Virginia in in the summer. Did I use the
0: word brand when I talked to you because I've mentioned that to young people today, like you almost have to establish your own brand. And I almost I feel kind of weird saying that, but yet again you kind of do. You got. You well, gotta I, let them know who you are. Let them know. Like there isn't that the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers. Right? Let them know. Let them know. You got I, I don't know if it know was the word. I don't
1: know if it was the word brand because brand is now so synopsis with with you know who people are with social media. I forget yeah. what you might have used brand. I forget what you said, but I think you you said something along the lines of you gotta make your. You basically have to make yourself more um out there. You, yeah. you got you gotta show what more you can do. In in essence it's branding, right? show, show your uh, versatility. Versatility. And then um which is crazy because it's a it's a good segue here because versatility in this business is availability. Yes. So you know I did sports with two different stations for five years in Beckley, West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia, and the job I took in Tampa uh was a sports anchor reporter job slash weekend news anchor. And I had never anchored news. I think I did it once in a pinch in an emergency situation at my in Beckley and I was like intimidated. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is, this is tough. Well, I mean, you're jumping from a middle market to a top 13 market in the country and you do it. And then eventually, you know, I I bought into it. I loved it. I did it for, you know, from 2013 before moving up here. And then that eventually we talk about how my job has evolved at Fox eight a couple of months, a month into my gig here, they offer me a weekend anchor position because I have our, our previous anchor had left and, Mm -hmm. Hey, you've done this before in your career. Would you mind, would you like to do it again? I said, sure. It's like riding a bike, you know? So had I not done that, talking about versatility, I wouldn't have been in the position and and got this other job at Fox 8. And for any young kids listening to this, and I've told this to the interns at Fox 8 when during Friday Night Touchdown, do everything. Just like you used to tell me, do everything. Do it all. Because if you can't do everything, you're limiting yourself. And in this business that changes rapidly, you need to do everything and uh time and time again we see sports people become news people and it's i often think i'm not this isn't something um cocky or arrogant to say but i truly believe this i think sports people make the best news people in a lot of ways because we are we're so versed in our deadline writing Mm -hmm. we're so versed in our ad-libbing and being live and then you're doing a lot of that stuff on news and we do a lot of that at fox 8 that's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge to, uh, you know, be more well-rounded. Right. And you get thrown into situations
0: um, that are both news-slash-sports-oriented. Sure. Uh, and I guess this is another good segue <laughs> because we're on the week where Deshaun Watson's coming back to play, or not coming back to play for the Browns, going to make his debut for the Browns. And when the Watson news hit in March... That pulled together a lot of the talents of sports journalists who can deal with stories of this sensitive nature, which it has been from that point on to now and it will continue to be. I'm sure Sunday there will be some kinds of protests down in Houston when he makes his debut for the Browns against his old team. So speak to that if mm-hmm. you can, John. Um, what what it's been like, you know, covering the Browns and their season really hasn't, uh, gone well for them up to this point but you had a major news story kind of um twisted in with sports in general
1: yeah watson it's it's been a circus Uh, that's the best way i can describe it being up here and dealing with this because uh the minute again he got traded here everyone knew oh boy here we go but then you go to the facility you go to practice um, the media contingent Probably quadrupled in the amount of people. I mean, the Cleveland media contingent for Browns big, anyways. But when you put a, a a player like this in the in the the cases around him, and the national exposure, I mean, you're having national media there, And not just sports media. You know, you could have like ABC, NBC, people, TMZ, whoever gotcha. there, and so it just it changes your day to day. It was in OTAs in the spring, and then in training camp in the summer. It changes your day to day approach because. And to an unfair, to an extent, because you want to break down some of these rookies, some of these veterans, some of these acquisitions and some of these players and how they're improving. And now you got to just talk about Deshaun the whole time. Like, how are you going to you know, persevere and, and not have your quarterback for six, seven games, now 11 games? And then, you know, how are you going to do this? And it's just like, after a while, it's a little tiring because you want to talk about football. Right. You know, but this is such a sensitive and important issue and story that needs to be told. And having a news background, like for myself, made my job maybe a little easier because of how to approach it, how to tell some of the stories, how to um, write it, and how to tell our viewers about it. So you know, it, it was uh, it's gonna it's a story that probably will never go away, um, not at least in the near future. Sure. And now that he's coming back, and you know, tomorrow, Wednesday, and he'll be at practice, and we'll have a big contingent there, and. If this game was in Cleveland, we'll have a massive contingent. I'm, I'm sure there will be like that in Houston as well. But um, you know, it's a, it's a, for fans, it feels weird, it feels awkward because you know who you got in a talent, but you know who you got off the field with all the alleged cases, and it puts fans in a, you know, their fandom in question in a way. Speaking
0: of fandoms, um, the Scarlet and Gray fandom mm. thrown for a loop for the second time in two years, and. Sp- People are already throwing out the term on the hot seat for Ryan Day. <laughs> I would kind of contest that. Maybe it's not time for that just yet. But where are you in terms of obviously the Wolverines totally outplayed them on on Saturday. But um, where does it
1: stand for him going forward down in Columbus? Yeah, it's uh, that came out of nowhere. I mean, shocking. No one, no one in the right mind picked a blowout. Some people picked Michigan. Probably out of 20 people, maybe one person did. But to see that display there in Columbus to watch that is was absolutely stunning. I will say this. I'm pretty bullish on some of the, the takes here. Like, I certainly think – I don't want to say the – pro. I, I, I tweeted this earlier, and I kind of got backlash on. I want to say Ohio State's in trouble. I tr- I truly do, do believe part of the program is in trouble. It's not me – and I'm not saying Ryan Day needs to be fired, but I think what this next season, you can call it – I don't want to say hot seat. His seat's getting a little warm. Just just a little bit. Because if you do this again next year, in my opinion, we've got serious problems. So I don't. I want to say the program is – I don't want to say it's in, necessarily in trouble. I know I use those words. It needs to be really under the microscope, including Ryan Day, for a couple of reasons. One, you got manhandled, and we all know what happened. We're not going to go into details. But you're now going into a year next season where the whole concepts of everything have changed. For the worst for Ohio State and for the best, better in Michigan. You're gonna have JJ McCarthy coming back. Yep. Ohio State, you're gonna have a brand new quarterback, likely in Kyle McCord. We're assuming CJ Stroud goes to the NFL, which he you will. Sure. You're gonna lose some good seniors. Now you're having two years of not having anybody. Two years of having young players not beating Michigan. Yep. Okay, you can't really have that in that rivalry. Ohio State got out tuffed. I mean, they, they, they. I I will say in the fourth quarter, they gave up in the fourth quarter in a lot of those runs. You can call it schemes from defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. You can call it lapses. You know, it was supposed to fix part of the problem and, and didn't for this game. Right. And a lot of these were just some bad plays that happened. You know, safety or corner, you know, takes a bad route or, you know, they miss a tackle or whatever. Yep. There's just so much there that happened that the entire program needs to be put under a microscope, Ryan Day included, Gene Smith, athletic director included. They need to reevaluate some things here. So I think going into next year, depending on what they do, on you know, in the off season here, what what kind of changes do they make? Ryan Day's not getting fired. Jim Knowles isn't getting fired. But they're going to be under the microscope in every single game they play. And they got Notre Dame next year on the road. Yeah. You know? Uh, I, I just, I think... And they, and they have the people in Ann Arbor getting bolder and stronger and
0: com- emboldened and competent confidence over what they've done the last two years. Two years. And, uh, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, Ryan Day... Ryan Day really did not have a track record when he took over. He had he had the blessing of Urban Meyer, and that counted for something, obviously, in Columbus, or he wouldn't be the head coach. Because you know, a lot of people would be saying, maybe Fick should be the coach. Well, now,
1: look, now he's at Wisconsin, and and it's too late for that anyway. I, I just kind of threw this out there, like, hey, fans if, on Twitter, if you're like miss, if you don't want Ryan Day, who do you want? I'm not saying he's going to get fired. I, I still want Ryan Day now, but I think a, a guy like. Um, Mike Vrabel would be perfect, but Mike Vrabel is not going to leave his cushy job in the NFL the recruit. Sure. He's doing a there. great job. And yeah. he's doing a great job there. But what I think, and this is an interesting point that I need to make that I think it doesn't get lost. And I think people would think at the time it's undervalued, but I think now it's really under, undervalued to a certain extent where we forget about it. What was the difference in the last 15, 20 years in the Ohio State Michigan rivalry? Michigan went through the Lloyd Carr era and brought in big-name head coaches that had no ties to Michigan, really, for the most part. Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. I know you, where I know where you're going with this. Then keep you bring going. in Jim Harbaugh, who arguably should have probably been fired two years ago after going 0-5 with, with, with against Ohio State. And somehow the Michigan Board of Trustees is like, yeah, we're going to keep you. Shocking. People in Michigan was, thought that was shocking, and it's paid off. You had Jim Trussell, who uh, came after John Cooper in 2000, Ohio guy. You yeah. got rid of him quick, just on that. Mm-hmm. One infraction with the which should not have never, have, ha- never yeah. have happened. Uh, then you have Urban Meyer, an Ohio guy. You bring Ryan Day in here, who has no ties to Ohio. Now, I'm not in that locker room. I'm not on that coaching staff. I'm not going to say that that lack of Ohio is impacting the rivalry because he says and knows how important this game is every year. But I have to wonder, not having an Ohio guy do you lose a little toughness in that rivalry? Because now you're not really recruiting the Ohio guys. The biggest knock on Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke during that era was they weren't recruiting Michigan or Ohio guys. Trestle and Urban Meyer did. Ryan Day, there's been a lot of Ohio guys that have left Ohio to go to different schools, not just Michigan or Penn State or whatever. They're picking more national guys, as did Herb did. But Herb had a little balance to it. Ryan Day is a phenomenal recruiter. On paper, has had better recruits maybe than Urban Meyer. But it hasn't transpired and yeah, wins in yeah, Michigan, right? In and, and a national championship. And if you can't beat Michigan and you don't have a national championship, Ohio State standards are so high, it's a failure. So, 2023, I think, will be a make-or-break year for Ohio State football in the sh- in the short-term future. I don't know if it's going to be make or break here for Ryan Day because I don't know who you could get in there. Yeah. People say Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline's a great recruiter for a wide receiver. He has no head coaching experience. He He's great at what he does. Yeah. I, I think so, he'd continue along, but, but along give, that path. But give credit to Michigan. As much as I hate to say that, they they took him to the woodshed and gave him the old, you know. So uh, we'll, I, think, we'll I, think we're
0: gonna, I think we're going to see, um, you know, you, your point is well taken about the Ohio imprint on the roster. Um, you can go back to Tress's championship year and you could throw tons of names dustin fox so on and so forth of northeast ohio kids that had a finger it had something to do with that yeah and then of course the great uh, years went in 06 and 07 they didn't win a title but you had teddy ginn and you had troy uh smith and so on and so forth and then the championship that they had in 14 cardale was the quarterback yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of Glenville kids here we're talking about, and Glenville kids now. Sure. You know, they have two or three kids on the roster that are way in the crosshairs of Ohio State. And uh, so you could see, again, a little bit more of that Ohiofication of the roster um, come into play here as they as they move forward because it's not going to be difficult for them to recruit. No. Uh, it might be a little bit more difficult to get that kid who might be on the fence between Ohio State and Michigan or Ohio State and another big power, big big power. you know, uh, because of, of, wow, they just got blown out. You know, what the, what's going on with that program? Sure. Uh, it's kind of weird in that respect, but... Um, which uh, here we go with segues again. <laughs> one, one more segue. The Glenville kids. Glenville kids are playing for the state championship this yeah. this uh, this week. You have you have four Northeast Ohio schools: Eds, Hoban, of course, Kirtland, which is an tr- incredible program, and then of course uh, Teddy Ginn's kids at Glenville in Division Four. Um, figures to be a great week it should, uh, it should yeah down in
1: in, uh, in, in Canton. In, it should be and, and i think if you're talking about glenville and teddy ginn uh, senior i mean hopefully this is the year i mean a legendary head coach phenomenal imprint on the community has been in the the, the state championship game before has never won one I mean, hopefully now this is the year that he could do it for, for, you know, I would love that for him. You know, I, I've, you've known him for oh my gosh, decades, you know, Long time. I, I, I've met him before he was, at, we had Scott and I had him on our podcast, um, last year and, um, a man of purpose, a man of, uh, shaping young minds and, you know, trying to, you know, just, just trying to do better with the, in the community with his school and everything. And just, uh, just one of the good guys and you're really rooting for them and you're rooting for the other schools too. you know, Hoven, Kirtland and Mm-hmm. And Eds, I mean, Eds won it last year in Division One, and I think uh, it's going to be a fun time down there. And I really, you got to wonder when you look at these these guys. Like uh, I look at like a Lamar Sperling, I mean, a guy at Hoban. I mean, he was our Friday Night Touchdown Player of the Year. Incredible it's, talent. Incredible talent. I mean, that's, he is so shifty in the backfield. I mean, you watch him play, and he is his his level of of skill like is so much better than anybody else that we've seen around here. And so uh at at the running back position he's a guy who i I believe is still verbally committed to buffalo and um you you gotta wonder what 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 his his resume will look like going forward in the recruiting process you know where else could he go will he go somewhere will he go to buffalo will he he get a big offer from somewhere will like a mac school come in there um I, i don't know if ohio state will. But you, you got to wonder on uh, some of these local kids that are, are going to some of those schools and seeing what they're going to do at the next level because it's great to see them grow and grow and when they're on the big stage like this. It's really weird, it's too,
0: neat. is to, to see, you know, like the, 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 the travels of one kid. You mentioned uh, Spurling, and then a kid from the same high school goes away to Arizona State to play running back there mm-hmm. in Tranham. And then yeah. transfers to Ohio Don't State. Say. He's a linebacker. Then they throw him in the running back room. And next thing you know, he's getting the most carries in the game against Michigan. Yeah. And did a pretty good job. But it's it. You just never know where the 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 the, the travels
1: of some of these kids will take them. And here's a fun story for you. Um, talking from about what 10 years ago, there was a young man who you knew and, and interviewed. I'll, I'll. I met him. We were doing an Outback Bowl post-game pre-game or post-game show uh, at our honor air when i worked out in tampa on the abc station and it was uh florida versus iowa and and the gators had beaten the hawkeyes and so i'm on the field doing some post-game interviews live in our post-game show and i grabbed the gators quarterback at the time his name was austin appleby he was a graduate transfer from Mm -hmm. purdue that name ring a bell to you so i i sit and talk with him i do a quick little interview we get done and we just kind of like, it's just in the hoopla, of, you know, uh, putting the Outback bolt gear on. And you have the newspapers, Gators winners, you know. And and so I sit there and I talk with them a little bit more afterwards. And uh, and I knew this kid went to Purdue, but I knew he had ties to the Cleveland, and Canton area. And here he was, a Canton Hoover alum. And so we're sitting there talking briefly. And then afterwards we exchange numbers. And I talked with him and we did some stories on him as he went through the NFL draft process. He went on sign, went on a couple practice squads. And now he is a actual, just in case you know, he's the wide receivers coach, I believe, at Missouri State. So he's now do, taking the college route to coaching. And we would talk um, about the differences in football in Florida, playing for the Gators and playing in the Big Ten, and then and then coaching and where he's at now, and then also what he did uh, in high school here. And he would always talk about playing football in Northeast Ohio, high school football in Canton. He remembers you. He remembers Friday Night Touchdown. I know he said he, he you interviewed him a bunch when he was at Hoover. Uh in talking about just like you know their travels, this is a kid that was verbally and committed, and was was gonna get an I, th- I can't remember if he got an actual offer or not to Ohio State, and then the Trestle uh, debacle happened, and then his name then then his offer went away. So then he went to Purdue, and then he went to Florida, and, you know, and then now he's bounced around. He tried I think I think the Alliance Football League a few years ago before that went defunct, and then you know and then now he's coaching in missouri state wide receivers coaching before that he was at an, another small school and he's working his way up so the travels of these young kids from high school and the college and if they're lucky enough to get in the pros or if they go in the coaching is oh i think is so fascinating and probably isn't thought about enough from uh people back here
0: no it, it it truly is not because uh gosh i could cite you know chapter and verse about kids you know mike yursich was quarterback in my alma mater euclid now he's you know, um, got his fingerprints all over the Penn State uh, offensive uh, game plan and what have you, and, uh, oh, just tons. Look at Cardio. Look at Troy Smith. I can – Troy Smith, you know, started at St. Edwards and then was – I can recall being at the game in Ann Arbor interviewing Pierre Woods from Uh. Glenville after Michigan beat Ohio State. This would be, what, maybe 05. I don't have all the – 04, 05 or whatever. Something like that, yeah. That would be 04. And uh, – you know, he's all excited and standing patiently by while I'm conducting the interview with Pierre is Troy Smith, who was just kind of like a he was on the right. He just was on the roster, sure. had really made his mark yet. And then the next year he made his mark and the year after that. And, and you know, the rest is history.
1: Heisman Trophy winner. Mike Yursich, he's the quarterback coach, right, at Yeah. Penn State? Penn State. He, he was instrumental in recruiting Drew Aller there you're at, right. at Medina. Right. Right. And, you know, he pl- got, got a chance to play a few times this year at Medina and sure looks like could be the starter next year at Penn State. Got an Ohio State offer late, but when you have, you know, a guy who's been recruiting you from the very, very beginning, you know, he he was loyal and stuck with him, you know. I know a lot of people here in the Cleveland area wanted Drew Aller to go to, you know, Ohio State, but just wasn't in the cards. I mean, ultimately, these kids have to go – and he was a grew up an Ohio State fan, yeah. you know. Um, but these kids have to go to schools that they feel comfortable in. You know, if it's academic purposes or just comfort in these recruit recruiting um, uh, trips and, and coaches. They build these bonds with these coaches. It isn't just like a a flip of a switch where like you build these bonds for months and months and years. And then you switch to go somewhere else. Right. I mean, this is a relationship, you yeah. know. Yeah. This is more than just coaching Saturday. This is something that these guys do off-season workouts together yep. with and training and, and, and sessions and school and, and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's a full, full, full-time full job. It, it, it absolutely,
0: it really and truly is. All right, let's wrap this thing up and get into uh this sable brothers podcast yeah. how did that come about well how much fun has it been who have been some of your bigger uh, guests that you've you've had we've been doing this now a year and a half other than me yeah, other than <laughs> you
1: yeah you were you were a big guest yeah. uh um i'm sure you got dozens of uploads go ahead well, actually you were and i think i did the math recently you were in our like i think there's our, our in the top 10 of our like 40 some guests so yeah you're up there it there go. was good so we, we um we, we one day it was just during the pandemic i was like scott you know let's you want to do a podcast you know at the time i was living in florida and he was like yeah i don't know how we can do this. so we had to get out the logistics stuff and so we i met with them um, uh, virtually of course met with one of the, uh, the ceo of a, the press play podcasts yep. is based in columbus but they have a lot of podcasts here in cleveland orange is Oranger is a big one cabs on the break which is i co-host with chase smith who's the ceo uh, i co-host that with sam amiko you know Cavs Sammy. writer nba writer and then, um, you know, Michael Regai and Kenny Rhoda have theirs on there, Regai and Rhoda. And so uh, I just saw that. I'm like, you know what, like, we, we want to do this. And so Scott and I like, yeah, let's do something. You know, so we had, how could we do it? So every other week we do a, uh, an episode where we bring in either a former Cleveland professional athlete or someone that has a, a tie to Cleveland sports here. And so, um, like I said, we've doing this a year and a half. We've had Mark Price, Craig Elo, Sean Kemp, <laughs> uh, Joe Thomas, Phil Dawson, Charles Nagy um the great john tellage i don't know if you know him <laughs> um man the the list uh, jim nance was on there and i jim nance and i go way back hello for friends it. hello friends yeah tradition unlike any other the masters uh you know he and i go way back for a time in west virginia when he would broadcast the Greenbrier classic which was on our my stations air and cbs at the time um you know, Brian Anderson, former Indians player. We just recorded one with Bernie Kozar. We just recorded one with Andy Billman, a, a ESPN director and producer who's, yeah, who's got the Ohio. Docks. The docks, the war on the diamond, and he also did 30 for 30. You know, we just did one with uh, Katie Najat, too, uh, you know, Olympic gymnast uh, here in the Cleveland area. Went the to pole Ashland. Yeah, the pole, pole vaulter, yep. right, yep. yep. uh, I'm sorry, not, not gymnast, uh, track and field. Um, yep, gold medalist. Yep. Uh, you know, Archie Griffin, we had Archie Griffin on. You know, so we... Uh, we we've got like a good cluster of uh mike fratello was on there george mcdair the the coliseum floor sorry i'm bouncing around these these n- names just keep thrown out there greg pruitt ron pruitt former indians and browns players it's just something fun that my brother and i get to do you know yeah. we talk sports we love history awesome and so um you know we, we uh i invite anyone to go out there find it on um, apple spotify wherever you listen to podcasts sable brothers on the baseline and then If you follow us on Twitter at Sable Bros, we tweet out. um, We've got someone that helps us out to to do the social media imprints of when when the episodes drop too. If you're not our yeah links and all that stuff, and it's just a fun bonding thing that my brother and I get to do because that's the biggest thing we have in common is is sports. A lot of my sports fandom was because of him growing up, being the youngest of five, him being the oldest of five, Um, being dragged around to a lot of games, which I love. The old Coliseum, Municipal Stadium, you name it, Gundarin event. So we just have fun with it and. Um, we got a you know, big guest list that we always want to try to get some people on there. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, depending on it. You know how it is, but yep. it's fun. Uh, you'd be surprised how many former players nowadays love to talk about the days yep. of old, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's been fun. Sean Kemp was, Archer Griffin was great. Joe Thomas was fantastic. Joe is, every time he appears anywhere, he, he was, was going to be in love. Yeah, landing. Bernie Kozar, which we haven't released yet, was, is going to be great too. But Sean Kemp, to me, was one that was fascinating because jt this was a guy i think he was misunderstood and i had been in trying to get in contact with him for a while and i found him online and um at his google image google search him one day usually when you do that, that some athletes sometimes bad things pop up <laughs> the, the latest thing that popped up at the time was this is a fun story was that he opened a a weed cannabis store of course in seattle washington downtown where it's all legal and he, um I call, called the store, called the the manager, talked with them. Yeah, Sean Here's will Mr. do it. Cameron. Yeah, yeah, Sean will do it. The one day they he had to cancel on us the next day he comes on Zoom and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is really happening." This is so cool, you know. So, he was gracious with his time. He loved Cleveland. One thing I didn't I don't know if you knew this. <laughs> I never knew he was the one that wanted to get traded to the Cavs. He wanted to do it. You know, he, he had some great stories of the old Coliseum, two playing in that area. But that was one of our, I think, one of my most fun, memorable podcast episodes that kind of came out of nowhere, which was pretty cool. Well, hey, it's just been great uh,
0: catching up on some of the stuff with you, getting some of your insights as to how things have been going for you in your career. I think you're doing a fantastic job. It's great to have you part of the, the Fox 8 family, even though I'm kind of like in that emeritus uh, old guy, retired guy um, scenario. So all... All the best to you, John, as you go forward.
1: Well, J- JT, I, a lot of what I've been able to do in my career is because of you. You've been so instrumental in helping me and guiding me and being a mentor to me growing up, and I cannot thank you enough. And thank you for having me on the on the podcast. You, you say you're the emeritus, you know? It's <laughs> like you go to a a, a a PGA course and they've got the the little sign in front of the parking spot, you know, reserved <laughs> for the pro emeritus, John Tellish. You've got a permanent. Um, parking space there at Fox 8 for all your years there. And uh, it, you know, it's, it's a treat to work with you on Friday Night Touchdown after someone who's grown up watching you and, and modeling my career uh, like yours. So uh, it's an honor and it's fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to next football season already. And thank you so much for having me.
0: You got it, my man. And uh, as usual, when we sign these babies off, uh, just don't uh, forget to uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Any love you can give us. And the Sable Brothers... A podcast as well would appreciate it very much and we'll see you guys the next time on tellish talks fantastic i gotta get to the app and shut it off here i think we did like an hour fifty-nine fifty. wow